Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. Uh, This is part of a series of episodes that Legal One is offering in partnership with Arthur J. Gallagher Risk Management Services. Uh, My name is David Nash. I am the director of the Legal One program, and I'm very happy to be doing today's episode, which is focused on supporting LGBTQ plus students in our schools. Uh, We have two wonderful guests with us today. Um, Before we get to our guests, let me just take a moment to uh, explain the series that we are offering. Uh, This episode is part of a five-part series that we are offering on equity, schools, and the law. Um, And we really are focusing on how we support all of our students um, and embrace the wonderful diversity that we have in our schools in the state of New Jersey um, and support students uh, based on factors such as race, ethnicity, gender, religion, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and a wide range of other protected characteristics uh, that we have under state and federal law. Uh, We have Arthur J. Gallagher Risk Management Services supporting this series, and Arthur J. Gallagher is a a premier provider of risk management services for school districts uh, throughout the state of New Jersey, so we're very fortunate to have them as a great partner as we offer this training. Uh, Today, we have two wonderful guests, uh, Christian Fuscarino, who is the Executive Director for Garden State Equality and Kate Okeson, who is co-founder and program director for Make It Better for Youth, uh, the Monmouth County Consortium for LGBTQ plus youth. And uh, Kate is also an art and art history educator. Uh, So Christian, uh, first, let me thank you for joining us today. I know how incredibly demanding your schedule is and all the great work that you're doing uh, throughout the state. David, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, thank you for all that you've done in educating folks about this work because at the end of the day we are combating a lot of misinformation and you have been a steady source for people to find the facts on this topic it's my pleasure and it's really been an honor to have a chance to work closely with garden state equality so um it's just a great partnership for us to to work together um kate i want to thank you as well Uh, you are doing incredible work uh, throughout the state Um, And obviously, you have a wonderful Monmouth County Consortium that you were a real leader in putting together, in addition to the great work that you're doing as an art and art history educator. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Um, You know, what's interesting and and what I'm liking even already about um, our talk today is that it's demonstrating the kind of uh, complex Venn diagram um, that students rely on, right, for contemporary appropriate support in schools. Like there is a partnership between educators 
folks like you who are helping our administration and leadership teams understand uh, the sort of role and responsibility with, you know, climate and culture in schools. And we also need that full support of advocates, professional advocates like GSA. So thanks again. Absolutely. Uh, so um, today we're going to be reviewing first some key legal principles related to uh, supporting students um, based on gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation. Uh, there is a very strong legal framework that is in place to make sure that we have an affirming, supportive environment. Uh, we'll then address some emerging issues uh, that are uh, occurring here in New Jersey and across the country, um, and some of the misinformation that is out there regarding what is actually happening in our schools and try to dispel some of those myths. And we'll talk about how we can all move forward um, as part of having a safe, affirming, supportive environment uh, that signals that uh, we welcome all of our students and we celebrate the diversity uh, of all of our students. So as we're getting ourselves started, I think it is important to understand the legal framework here in the state of New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey has one of the strongest anti-discrimination laws in the nation. Uh, our New Jersey law against discrimination uh, has been in place since 1947. It's been amended uh, numerous times and it indicates a large number of characteristics um, where individuals, adults and children and our students are protected from discrimination. So in 1991, uh, New Jersey, before many other states, um, amended our New Jersey law against discrimination to ensure that in places of public accommodation, which include our public schools, that there uh, not be any discrimination based on sexual orientation. Uh, New Jersey uh, then amended the law again in 2006 to ensure that there is no discrimination in places of public accommodation, including our public schools, uh, related to gender identity and gender expression. Um, and our legislature was very specific when we put those amendments into place. So for example, our legislature anticipated that questions might arise regarding sex segregated facilities, things like restrooms and locker rooms, um, and made clear that we are uh, supposed to honor what individuals, including students, are telling us about their gender identity and allow individuals, including students, to access those uh, facilities aligned with the student's or adult's gender identity. Um, and that's a, a critical concept. There is no ambiguity in New Jersey law on that particular issue. Um, and I think it was uh, wonderful that the legislature anticipated some of those questions um, might arise and very specifically um, address that issue. Uh, the law very clearly uh, protects uh, all of our public school students, um, very clearly protects our adults working in the school system as well. Um, it is a, an expansion on protections that are available under federal law, um, although uh, we do have some protections available under Title IX, for example, uh, for individuals from discrimination based on gender identity. Um, and the uh, state of New Jersey has made clear that given the intent of this law, uh, the broad scope, the intent to make sure that we do not have individuals discriminated against, uh, that the law needs to be liberally construed, that means broadly interpreted, 
to to achieve the goals that we're trying to achieve to make sure that individuals are not subjected to discrimination. So we certainly know um, in New Jersey that uh, the law includes protections um, for students in our public schools. That was made clear back in 2007. Uh, there was a, an important landmark case, LW versus Tom's River. Um, and in that case, a student had been singled out and had been subjected to bullying starting at the elementary level continuing into middle school and continuing into high school based on the student's perceived sexual orientation. Um, and in that case, uh, the New Jersey Supreme Court ultimately made clear that it's not enough to simply respond after the fact if you find out that a student is being targeted because of a characteristic such as sexual orientation. What the New Jersey Supreme Court made clear is that school districts need to be proactive need to look at larger systemic issues like school climate and need to take measures that are reasonably calculated to end harassment and make sure that we have a safe, supportive environment. So our state Supreme Court raised the bar in the LW versus Tom's River case to not simply have school districts acting as passive responders when problems arise. And that's important for us to think about as we talk about the guidance that um, was issued by the New Jersey Department of Education in 2018. Uh, that guidance in part is intended to encourage school districts and ensure that school districts are being proactive and not simply waiting for problems to arise and then try to correct or address those problems afterwards. So in 2017, the legislature um, enacted an enabling statute, I think because there was a need to provide some further clarification to New Jersey school districts about the protections that are available under the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination uh, linked to gender identity and gender expression. Uh, so the law, as we mentioned, was changed in 2006 to include protections for gender identity and expression, went into effect in 2007. Um, but the legislature in 2017 uh, saw that there was a need for additional guidance to help school districts understand their responsibilities. So um, in 2017, a mandate was passed for the Department of Education to develop guidance to help school districts addressing these issues. And that um, mandate had very specific requirements for things that had to be included in that guidance. So the overarching goal, of course, was to ensure a safe, supportive learning environment free from discrimination uh, for all students, including students who um, may be targeted because of gender identity or expression. Um, it very specifically said that school districts need to work directly with students to develop and implement confidentiality plans. And that was important. The legislature did not say work around students, work with others, um, this, um, have others decide what that plan should be. It said directly work with students to develop a confidentiality plan and to ensure that we are affirming who that student tells us they are, uh, that we are using the appropriate name and pronoun for that student, that the identifications that we issue in many school districts for students uh, use the correct name and gender marker for that student, and that we don't wait for what is quote unquote called a legal name change. We don't wait for a court order signed by a judge before we affirm who that student is. Um, obviously for many students, uh, simply having uh, that direct access uh, is not possible. And New Jersey law does not require uh, that formal procedure 
for schools to affirm who students are. Um, the guidance also is required to make clear that uh, transgender students and non-binary students do have the right to participate in all extracurricular activities and to participate in athletics aligned with the student's gender identity um, and encourage uh, and support it uh, districts and making sure that we have uh, safe spaces for all students, that we permit and support the formation of student clubs and programs um, to have that affirming environment for our LGBTQ plus youth. Uh, so the guidance uh, was enacted the following year. Um, the legislature mandated in 2017 the guidance. The Department of Education released it in 2018. Um, and it is an incredibly useful roadmap for school districts. Um, but it's not new. There are issues being discussed today related to that guidance. That guidance has been in place since 2018. Uh, our revisions in the law related to gender identity and expression and protecting from discrimination have been in place since 2006. Uh, so this new guidance um, uh, from 2018 um, helped school districts understand uh, some basic terminology. Uh, there has often been confusion about the term gender identity, the term gender expression, uh, the term sexual orientation, and uh, we will talk about making sure there are no misunderstanding. Um, understanding an individual's gender identity uh, does not tell us anything about that individual's sexual orientation or that person's gender expression and how they are communicating to the rest of the world. Um, so it's important that we understand those concepts, and we'll talk about that. Uh, the guidance also made clear that we are affirming what a student tells us, and obviously we hope um, and want uh, all students to have an affirming, supportive home environment, but we know that's not always the case, and the guidance makes clear that parental consent is not required for us to affirm and honor what students are telling us regarding gender identity and expression. And it made clear that uh, given the significant dangers that some students may face by a forced disclosure of that information to parents, uh, that school districts are not to inappropriately out students um, and share information regarding gender identity or expression when the student has asked that the information not yet be shared with their parent or guardian. Uh, the guidance made clear that we revise records. Um, once uh, we are in a position uh, where uh, parents and guardians are aware, uh, we would revise things like IEPs and transcripts, um, diplomas that students uh, would receive would be aligned uh, with the name and the gender markers that the student has told the school district to use. Uh, so we do make those revisions um, and as I said, the guidance was very clear that we work with the student as we are determining um, who should be receiving information regarding that individual's gender identity or expression um, and how we communicate that information. Um, so there are some wonderful uh, resources available for school districts to think about how to do this work. Uh, there is a national organization known as Gender Spectrum uh, that has very good templates, a gender support plan and gender communication plan uh, that we encourage school districts to look at as a good starting point to uh, think about how to have those conversations. Um, we also have a New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association that governs our interscholastic athletics. 
Um, and NJSIAA, that governing body, has also uh, been very supportive of uh, having all of our students fully participate in athletics um, and making clear that students are um, allowed to participate in athletics based on their gender identity. Um, so the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination requires that. The um, State Interscholastic Athletic Association uh, certainly has policies aligned with that. Um, and it's important to understand that is not new. Uh, that's also been in place uh, for the NJSIAA rules have been in place since 2009. Um, we have a number of other related legal considerations that come up as we think about how we can have this safe, supportive environment for our students. One of the issues that sometimes arises is a question of uh, First Amendment um, rights and allowing individuals to express their views. And certainly um, our courts have made clear that we do place a tremendously high value on protecting the First Amendment rights of students, but those rights are not unlimited. So we have a long history of saying it is not okay to engage in what we would call hate speech, where we are ostracizing or demonizing um, others because of any particular any uh, particular characteristic. Uh, so those First Amendment protections are incredibly important, but they are not a license to um, engage in harassment, intimidation, or bullying of others based on gender identity or expression or sexual orientation. Uh, we have a very strong anti-bullying bill of rights. Uh, so if individuals are targeted based on um, any particular characteristic, uh, we have a strong framework in place to make sure those issues are addressed. And, you know, the vast majority of our kids um, are uh, supportive of their peers, but we certainly do see cases uh, where individuals have been targeted and bullied. Um, and we have sometimes seen devastating consequences. Uh, we know the tremendous risks that are involved um, of things like suicidal ideation. Uh, so the stakes are incredibly high um, on this particular issue. Um, New Jersey has in place strong protections um, against uh, potential threats in our schools. So we have a threat assessment uh, framework that school districts have to have in place if individuals are targeted with credible threats. And again, uh, we have seen that sometimes happen to uh, students who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we've got a very strong um, learning standards, New Jersey state learning standards that make sure we have a diverse curriculum in place uh, to ensure that we are um, addressing these issues appropriately in an age appropriate way, K through 12, um, and making sure that we are signaling to students the importance of having that affirming um, environment and celebrating our diversity. Um, we have very strong protections in place uh, to make sure that we are not undermining state law. So for example, if an individual Board of Education member disagrees with some particular policy in the state of New Jersey, as a citizen, of course, you have a right um, to voice your opinion and to advocate for changes in state law. As a Board of, Board of Education member, you do not have the right to decide where we're not going to implement the law. And it's important to understand uh, that a school board meeting is not the forum to decide that we believe the law should uh, be different 
than it is, and we're simply going to enact policies that are different from what New Jersey law currently requires. So I raise that because there have been some recent developments that uh, we certainly will talk about. Uh, for example, uh, some school districts have refused to approve curriculum, um, implementing certain aspects of the New Jersey student learning standards, and that is not an option for a school district. Uh, New Jersey has adopted standards uh, related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, K through 12, that need to be implemented. We've adopted health standards that need to be implemented. Some school districts have engaged in um, book banning or reducing access to materials in our school libraries and media centers um, regarding gender identity, sexual orientation, without going through an appropriate review process um, and making decisions uh, to narrow access to materials in inappropriate ways. Um, some districts have adopted board policies requiring parental notice over student objection uh, when a student reveals their gender identity. Um, and that is a clear violation of the law against discrimination and has prompted the state attorney general to step in um, and to seek successfully preliminary injunctions against a small number of school districts um, for uh, looking to put in place policies that were inconsistent with state law. Uh, so it's important to understand that legal framework um, as we move forward. Um, a couple quick legal principles I'll mention before um, we bring in our guests. One concept to understand is disparate treatment. Are we potentially singling out um, individuals and treating them differently because of their gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation? Another concept is disparate impact. Are we putting in place policies that maybe on their face look neutral, but really are having a significant negative impact, an outsized negative impact um, on individuals who are part of the LGBTQ plus community? And are we doing things that um, may cause irreparable harm? things that we cannot fix um, after the fact with monetary damages. So in some cases, school districts have considered policies that are increasing the risk of harm for kids very uh, significantly. So with that, I do want to bring into our conversation uh, Christian um, and Kate. Uh, Christian, let me start with you. Can you comment on some of the emerging issues that we are seeing in the state of New Jersey and how we can have a constructive dialogue and move forward in a way that is not uh, causing uh, real potential harm for many of our children. We are in a difficult position, David, because we are combating misinformation campaigns that are often well-funded and um, are spreading like wildfire on social media. And so as I look at the situation that we are presented with as a statewide organization that you know tries to be as present as possible in all 21 counties, tries to be as present as possible in all 600 plus school districts in the state, which is an impossible task, I am left with the solution of trying to educate those that are willing to listen to facts. And that is not as wide of an audience as one would like to believe. But we have to be resilient in this moment because we're talking about our children's lives. We're talking about LGBTQ youth 
in schools who are being presented with climates that 20 plus years ago we had hoped we would be gone from at this point in time. And I remember as a student organizer nearly 20 years ago, going around a school district to school district in New Jersey and starting Gay Straight Alliances and receiving pushback from administration and school boards and local community groups and parents. And then I saw the culture shift. I saw a lot more compassion for LGBTQ youth and the often difficult scenarios they are presented with when coming out in schools. There was a lot more understanding that there needed to be stronger anti-bullying policies, um, supportive programming, community involvement and engagement. And then all of a sudden, within the last few years, we have seen that roll back and we're getting folks coming out of the woodwork who are enraged by this misinformation that are showing up and going after the most vulnerable in our community. And so this is an all hands on deck moment for the LGBTQ community and all those who stand for equality in our state. Because if we don't get it right in this instance, we have another generation coming up that is facing the same opposition that we had hoped they could grow and develop without having to experience. And it's heartbreaking to think that 20 years from now, when these high school students are potentially the leader of Garden State Equality, um, are sharing experiences of having to defend their rights in high school. I dream of the day when LGBTQ youth cannot have to look back at their involvement in the movement when they were in high school. They can look back at their time in high school and just cherish the going to prom with someone that they uh, were interested in or, or um, uh, you know, just being authentically themselves and not having to worry about whether or not they're gonna be added to their parents or if they would have to go back into the closet and and so that's the that's that's what we're fighting for in this moment. We are fighting, and 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 we've already lost it because because the students in school are faced with this adversity, and so we're fighting right now to let them know that uh, there is in an in an, you know there are multiple generations that support them. We are um, defending them because they're ready to fight too. Don't get me wrong, right? Our we just did, Garden State Equality just did a diversity camp where we brought kids from all over New Jersey to uh, a week-long DEI camp-style setting, and they're ready to take on this moment. They need to know that we stand with them, and we're fighting for now the next generation of students that come up in, in hopes that they will not have to have this experience. But we've, we've already lost by the fact that we have adults in communities trying to take away student rights. We have adults in communities who, who some don't even have children. Um, and we have adults in communities that don't have LGBTQ youth. And, and if they did, they would kick them out of their homes.
And th these are the folks that are showing up at school board meetings trying to say what is best for our youth. What, what we know is best for our youth is safe schools. What we know works for our youth is good policy. What we know uh, works for our youth is seeing a supportive adult in their life stand with them. There's data that supports this. Every major national uh, uh, organization supports this. And so we're going based on the facts here and we just have to let, the, let as many people know that the New Jersey law against discrimination has protected the basis uh, on sexual orientation for uh, gender identity for nearly 20 years and we haven't had any issues. That this is not a red or blue issue, right? Like I love reminding folks that the 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 mandate, the law was signed by Governor Christie. That's right. Governor that Governor Christie signed this law. This has been a non-issue. So that's what I just try to remind folks that this misinformation that's out there is creating scenarios that don't exist. What exists right now in New Jersey, the nation's number one public schools is our safe environments for our kids and, it, and we have to get out of the way and let those safe environments continue to exist. That's so well said, Christian. Um, and I'm glad that you talked about what we do know about what works. Uh, there is tremendous research out there that uh, lets us know that when we do provide students with connection to a caring adults and an affirming environment somewhere, and that somewhere may only, in some cases, be uh, within our school district. It makes a huge difference for outcomes for our students and reduces some of the risks that we have. So, Kate, let me bring you into the conversation. You know, one of the things that I will often hear is that isn't this an issue that should wait until somebody is an adult? Our kids are not ready to talk about and deal with issues of gender identity. Why are we having these conversation uh, with people before they are reaching adulthood? I, I love this question, Dave, because um, it shows me frequently that the question, the person who's asking the question doesn't have open conversation perhaps with an LGBTQ AI identified person. When we have that dialogue and we trust people to tell us who they are and affirm them when they tell us who we are, we learn that, um, and not just through data, but from person to person level, that um, we're experiencing young people coming out at an average in their middle school and early middle school years. We're seeing that with uh, you know great frequency and coming out in terms of their sexual orientation, their gender identity, however, and, and this is backed um, by a great deal of data as well, is coming out or beginning to express itself at a much earlier age, early elementary uh, in some cases. And, you know, the difference um, between a kid knowing this about themselves or a young person understanding kind of who they are and what their identity means comes down to our access to language and understanding that the environment is safe to sort of share that one feels um, maybe not like their neighbor in the desk or the seat next to them in school. And I, you know, frame that that way because I think a lot of the challenges that we're facing right now come from the position of being an observer and not somebody who's experiencing this. Well, the impact it has on a young person whose gender identity or sexual orientation is being kind of combated in front of them, which is a, a terrible, a terrible experience for a young person. You know, as a teacher, and I've been teaching for over 25 years, what I understand and how I frame the sort of importance of this moment and the importance of this work in general is that 
I might see a student in a high school two or three times during their four years with me, but they've been in school for 10 years or 11 years prior to that. Their career in public education is pre-K or K through 12. And there are uh, so many opportunities to do things that are wrong and harmful, but that also means there are so many opportunities as contact points for students to learn appropriate language, hear that adults affirm them and believe them for what they say they are, who they say they are when they show up in class. And that kind of frames the, um, I'm looking for a word that talks about this tension, right? Like there's a tension in this moment where we don't trust young people to know, to have autonomy, to have agency. And all the data out there tells us that that's not the case. And it's not just data about their health either. And, and these are some things that I think need to be brought into the conversation more regularly. Why is a, an age we think somebody is too young to talk about this when we know that the longitudinally we're talking about GPAs at the high school and college level after perhaps many years of people not affirming who they are? When we're talking about their attendance at the high school level, collecting data on academic attendance, and that habit around attendance and addressing not coming to school because of how they feel unsupported or unsafe starts when they are much younger. It's not all of a sudden that a student says, I'm not coming to school. That may feel like it for the teacher or the administrator on the other side, but there's a, a buildup to that. You know, There's the, the straw that breaks the proverbial horse's back. And so a student career has to be at the center, I think, of a lot of our, not just uh, thinking on what these policies are really intended to do, but that even though one kid may, uh, you know, graduate and leave us, we have a whole generation. Every every year, we have an additional generation in front of us—a high school generation of four years, or a middle school generation of four years. That is not a lot of time to have that one person or the impact of those policies be visible to all those students. Um, I know I'm kind of, you know, circling no, around through that. But outcomes data is not just suicidality, which is devastating. I, I, I have a hard time. We, we have heard so much that is a, a rallying point being brought up, right? In, and especially in these hearings around policies at the board level. But a school's job is to provide a, a, a free, accessible public education to students. It's their right. And if a student is fearful of coming to school, if a student's attendance is a result of them being fearful to attend school, we have prevented them from accessing their their due, their rightful education. It's so well said. Um, so Christian, um, let me ask you, uh, let's get into some specific issues that are arising. Some school districts are being pressured to remove access to materials in our school libraries. Um, what should uh, school districts be doing when they get a... Uh, uh, perhaps a very loud request uh, from uh, somebody in the community saying that we should be immediately removing uh, some particular book uh, from our um, libraries. Um, I see districts often responding very quickly and removing those items. Um, and there's not always a sound basis for that decision. Well, you know, I think what's important to note in this moment is that the voices that we are hearing often are not reflective of the entire community we live in. We are faced with individuals coming forward and very loudly trying to 
push these this radical agenda on our communities um, and and firing folks up. But we are not in a position where the majority of our communities have to go out and fight for something because it, it's currently the way of life. And so as we've been showing up to a lot of uh, school board meetings, we are seeing um, a, a lot of a, a very vocal uh, group of individuals that are coming out and saying that they either want to remove books from the library or pass a specific policy. And um, sometimes it's hard in communities to get others to come out to say, no, this should stay because it already exists. And I think that if we were faced with the position, which I, I hope does not happen, if we were faced with the position of um, school districts in New Jersey having active outing policies, right? Because out of all of our school districts, even the school districts that have passed the policies, they're not in effect. If we were faced with the position where libraries have are actively banning books, and, and some are, we would see community members come out and fight for those policies to not exist. We would see community members to come out and fight to ensure that books aren't being banned at much higher numbers than we're currently seeing. There is a comfort in knowing that what we're talking about today is not the reality in which we live in. But just by looking at the sheer number of people that came out and supported marriage equality, they were fighting for marriage equality. If, if when we were posed with, uh, you know, the, the threat of um, uh, the Supreme Court overturning marriage equality, we didn't see the same number of people come out that came out for marriage equality because marriage equality currently existed. And so I think this is the same situation we're in right now. And, and of course, it's not a great position to be in. Everyone should come out and say, you know, don't ban books, don't pass these policies. But until that happens, we can't expect there to be a, 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 a larger number of individuals because they're living in the comfort of the reality in, in which we have. If all 600 plus school districts pass the policy throughout students, you would see an insane amount of individuals showing up in outrage. It wouldn't fly. We would see, it, it, like talk about running for school boards, we'd see so many people who have no interest in running for school boards, running for school boards just to ensure that these outing policies didn't exist. And we're not at that point yet. I hope we don't get to that point. And rightfully so, we, we have a lot of folks just coming out just to safeguard what we fought for. But when you take away what we fought for and we're in a different reality where these policies are in effect, when these books are being banned, you would see you would see a much more visible and vocal support for these things to exist. And so I think that's the position we're in as far and just, you know, generally just as far as book banning. And this was something that I, I heard the governor speak so eloquent, eloquently about is that um, the, any if you're going to censor any information that is pro pro productive to society then you are creating a nation that is not the america that we know and so it's a slippery slope when you start banning books it's a slippery slope when you start 
erasing individuals from the stories that they can learn from. And so I can imagine that many communities would be outraged if we started removing books just because um, some folks in the community don't believe in what's being said in those stories. It's such it's so well said. And you know, uh, we did have some recent guidance come out from the Attorney General and Commissioner of Education uh, back on June 26th of uh, this year, uh, making clear that school districts need to have in place sound policies to review those concerns and not simply be reactionary um, and remove materials because that sends an incredibly um, harmful message uh, to students when we're removing access to information uh, regarding issues like gender identity or sexual orientation. Christian, uh, let me ask you for your final thoughts on uh, how we can um, move forward and ensure that we have a safe, affirming environment for all of our students um, and make sure that we're keeping the focus on our students um, as we have what have uh, become some really toxic political discussions um, in New Jersey and across the nation? Well, I, I would want to encourage anyone that is listening to this podcast to get involved in what's happening in their local communities. We are confronted by individuals filled with nothing but hatred in their hearts. We are confronted with extremist groups and cults who really don't represent the values of our state or the communities that we live in. We find ourselves in a strategic position, standing strong and resilient with a far greater capacity to achieve our goals than those who oppose us. We can find hope in these moments that seem really scary and dark. We are in a position of strength. We are poised to accomplish what we set out to achieve. We will be able to safeguard what we have fought for. If you are going out and being active in your local communities, know that you are standing with organizations like Garden State Equality, Planned Parenthood, NJEA, CWA. These are some of the largest organizations in our state that are working hard to safeguard what is being attacked in, in local districts. So you will not be doing it alone, but your physical presence, your voice in the room can make all the difference. And so we encourage you to come out and join us. We need you to be present and help answer the call. Thank you, Christian. And thank you for the great work that you do every day on all of these issues and the Garden State Equality does as well. So Kate, let me ask you uh, one final question. Um, as we're thinking about these issues, sometimes they we deal with them on such a large global level that we might miss the importance of that um, individual connection that we can make. Can you talk about the importance of one um, adult, one teacher, one administrator, one counselor, one coach, uh, the difference that that one adult can make uh, for a child in providing an affirming environment and how we can all be that person? Yeah, and I often am asked about this in the context perhaps of SEL or um, some of the other philosophies around school belonging and, and you know, climate and culture teams and things like that, right? A, a lot of times those are the places from which professional development might happen in a school building to say, go be that one person. But I don't think, you know, you can do that practically um, as, a, as a formal approach, right? It's about 
who's available for young people and how do they have access to the teachers, the coaches, the advisors, and things like that. When I've sat in these board meetings and I hear um, people who I would consider my sort of philosophical opponent talking about uh, school is for reading, writing, and arithmetic. And, and they posit that their objection to affirmation of young people and guiding them is about you know families having specific rights that are outside of the school function. In my decades teaching, I have understood public education and certainly even myself as a public school student, I'm very close and clear with my memory of middle school and high school also because I had that one teacher. And actually I'm you know, wildly uh, privileged to have had two of those teachers in very different ways. But it comes from a school saying, we are here for young people, right? So it's not reading, writing, arithmetic, it's academics and activities and athletics and what that means to our culture. We are small towns for young people where they're learning. I mean, I look at every time I go in to do PD or I have a conversation with somebody in another district, I look at their district's mission statement and their philosophy. And I wanna know what they think their young students are supposed to become or um, what they want them to, to kind of embody. And they, a lot of times, uh, have some sort of language about being like global citizens or, you know, being able to, uh, you know, grow up and, and become, you know, part of this larger world. But we can only do that if we allow them to have that whole world while they are in school, right? And, and that means we're hiring people that are from all different places and all different kinds of people, right? That we are making sure that our clubs and activities look like what the world is out there and offer opportunities for our young people in those organic ways. That's how our young people meet people that they end up having that one conversation and that becomes their one person. A lot of times for our, our queer and trans kids, that is your gay straight alliance or your gender and sexuality alliance, but not only. A lot of times the, the power of the GSA is that it exists and sort of colloquially having a conversation with educators, especially in, in central New Jersey at this point, they see tremendous fluctuation in their participation in those clubs, depending on the climate outside of their building or how the adults are talking about it. But they're raising these issues inside of other club spaces, knowing that those individual teachers are giving them time, space, connecting with them around that. And so a lot of times it's like, you know, I'm thinking like it's availability. It's a visibility politic, another thing that's also, you know, contested, right? The sticker on the door, having these books, not just in the library, but teachers um, having books that represent the things that they care about in their classrooms. You know, not everything is part of a curricula. And uh, by extension, you know, that means that it's not all lockstep. We're, we're individuals, we have to be there for the individuals our, our young people um, wanna become. That's so well said, um, and it's a, it's a great way for us to round out this conversation. You know, as we uh, wrap up our conversation today, I do want to remind our listeners that we're talking about some incredibly complex issues, and they're issues where adults are still learning and growing. Um, and I do think that our kids see when adults are making an effort, even if we're not always perfect, even if mistakes are sometimes made, uh, but making that effort to understand and affirm and uh, be that go-to uh, support 
makes all the difference in the world. And the legal framework, frankly, is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we have uh, for so many years understood that we cannot uh, single out, ostracize, demean, harm individuals based on lots of protected classes, uh, race, religion, disability. Um, so we really need to think about gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation as being part of that fundamental commitment to civil rights um, and affirmation for everybody in our schools. Um, and understanding this commitment to belonging is really a, a critical way for us to frame these issues. Uh, but the legal framework is very straightforward. We provide that supportive environment. We affirm who students tell us they are. Um, and we have a student-centered approach as we work through these issues. So I want to thank uh, you, Kate, and I want to thank Christian as well uh, for being with us today for this episode of the Legal One podcast. Again, this episode is part of our series on schools, equity in the law, uh, sponsored by Arthur J. Gallagher uh, Risk Management Services. Uh, we thank all of our listeners today. Uh, be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us for future episodes of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj. 